The Holy Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, Jesus breathed into them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So today is the day of Pentecost. The famous image of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit appearing on the heads of the disciples looking like tongues of fire. And I, I think I'm not the only one who sometimes gets caught up in these visible images and, and kind of gets distracted by them. And, you know, throughout the Bible, we see people have a history of when there's a miracle happening, getting distracted by the physicality of the miracle. You know, people were, were concerned, well, you know, one of my favorite examples of this is when God was leading the, the people out of slavery into the wilderness, and the people were getting hot and tired and cranky and hungry and thirsty, so I imagine this is about four hours after the Red Sea was parted, and they started to complain. And they said, oh, at least in Egypt we had meat to eat. At least in Egypt we had this. Never mind that they worked probably 17, 18-hour days making bricks without any straw. You know, they were hungry and they were tired and they were hot and their feet were starting to hurt. And I don't know about y'all, but it really doesn't take me long to complain about things when I start to get hot and tired and hungry and my feet hurt. So God caused manna, which... I had a Hebrew professor, Dr. Luker, say, and I don't know whether he was joking or serious, but he said manna is loosely translated as, what is this? And, and you know, they were, they were so interested in the fact that it was manna and it was something to eat, and then complaining that it wasn't meat, you know, that, that they didn't think about the fact that there they were hungry, and God provided them food. And it's not just the physical food that they needed, but it was the spiritual nourishment to remind them that God provides us what we need for our journey. You know, another example of this in the Gospel of John is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 people, plus women and children. You know, Jesus feeds them with a few loaves and some fish, and there's baskets overflowing, and everyone's so excited and satisfied that they've eaten that even though Jesus tries to go away and get some peace and quiet, they follow him the next day. And a friend of mine who was working on his master's thesis said something that I'd never thought of before. He said, this is the biggest failure of Jesus' ministry. I said, what do you mean it's a failure? Look how many people he fed. And he said, well, look what Jesus said next. You're not here because you saw the wonders of God and you're interested in the spiritual things that come from that. You're here because your bellies were full. We get so distracted by the things that make us comfortable. You know, I'm not saying I don't want it, but air conditioning is one of those things that keeps me inside during South Carolina summers. 
And there might be all kinds of things outside, but I like being cool. You know, we, we have this kind of obsession with the things that we can see and feel and touch and measure and calculate. And I'm not, a, I'm not someone who considers themselves a scientist because I don't like to write things down, but I am a science fan. My wife is a scientist. She's an engineer. She works in biomedical engineering and is working on her PhD. She's the smart one. And, you know, I, I get such a kick out of hearing her talk about how she works with the cells and the ways she can measure cells and the things going on with them, but also how she's able to step outside of those things that she can measure and see the glory of God in the work that she's doing and the life that these cells have and the ways that she experiments with them and is able to, to make that leap between the things that we can see, feel, touch, and hear to the things we perceive, but not necessarily with our physical senses. So I think Pentecost is a day when we think that maybe the miracle is that tongues of fire were on the heads of the disciples, and certainly that's a miracle. You know, how can this bush burn and not be consumed by the flames? How can these tongues of fire rest on the disciples' head and they, their hair doesn't catch? You know, how, how is it that everybody here, even though these people are Galileans, hear in their own language? And of course, we have, I think, the response that maybe a lot of us would have. Well, obviously, these people are all drunk. You know, they, we, I know a lot of people in college who, to hear them speak at certain points during the night, they sounded like they were speaking in tongues. But I don't think anybody, including them, really understood what they were saying. But, you know, Peter says, well, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Obviously, we're not drunk. And by this point, Peter was an older guy. And at 40, I can tell you that there are very few times when I see the sun rise from the back end rather than the front end at this point in my life. So I tend to believe him. The, the thing that I think Pentecost is really about isn't so much about the miraculous nature of being able to hear in different languages. And not just different languages, but we hear all, you know, even though it wasn't the whole world, the group of people that was assembled that day is what people would call people from all over the world. You heard the, Par the, the Medes and the Parsians and the Cretans and all the people that I don't want to pronounce and Herbert did a wonderful job with. And we hear all those different languages that, they were, that the disciples were heard in. And what we're hearing is the miraculous thing that the language of God is a language that speaks in any language. The language of God are, is words that are spoken to the heart. The language of God is a language that's spoken in that part of us and that rests in the image of, in which we were created. That part in us that yearns to hear from God that our lives matter, that God's presence makes a difference, that even though we're all so different and, you know, right now we're in a time in our, in our world's history where I hear at least once a day people say, this is the scariest time that's ever existed because look what happened in London yesterday. You know, now we have people who just run people over on London Bridge, right? This, it's the second time in, in, what, a week that we've had somebody just use a car as a weapon. And that's right on the heels of a, of a suicide attack at a concert in London. And, and we see all these things and we get scared. And, and we see the, the way that people that nations don't get along and we get scared 
and we think about the, the capacity we have to destroy ourselves and destroy our planets, whether it's through nuclear weapons, whether it's through the technology we have, whether it's through diseases that might arise that we can't control, and we get scared. Let's face it. We don't even have to go outside our own door to get scared. You know, I, when I turned 40, I started out the morning at the gym. And I was, I was so proud of myself because I was, I was just kicking 40. And I was so excited because I was, I was doing a good job at the gym. And I was, you know, lifting weights and I was strong. Everyone says 40 is terrible, but look at me. Later that day, I started to get sick. And I got sick for a week. And I was like, 40 stinks. You know, it's, it's the way life goes. We, and, it's, you know, that's, that's, one of a, that's a small, silly example. But, you know, all of a sudden over the years, it happens incrementally. We notice our body doesn't respond the way we want it to. And it gets scary. We notice our mind might not be as sharp as we want it to be. And that gets scary. You know, we get diseases that all of a sudden we don't have cures for, and that gets scary. We... We experience the sickness and death of loved ones and the grief that comes from that. And that's frightening enough that I don't need to watch the news to be scared. How does this relate to Pentecost? Remember what I said about Pentecost. Pentecost, the miracle there, is that the words of God speak the language of our heart so that we are able to hear them and understand them and feel known by the one who creates us, the one who loves us, the one who through the waters of baptism and the Holy Spirit claims us as his own children and calls us beloved. And we're able to hear the truth of what God proclaims that stands against all the things that scare us, that stands against all the ways that the world wants to divide us, that stands against all the things in our hearts that we know are just true of us. And if anyone could see what was really in here, no one would love me, right? Or that we suspect about our neighbors, the different ways that we divide ourselves, whether it's by property or whether it's by race or whether it's by, I'm going to say something that has the word politics, whether it's by political opinion, whatever, all the different ways that we divide ourselves, we realize that the truth of God is that none of these divisions matter. None of these divisions in the face of God are real because what God declares through Pentecost is that there is one God, one world that God loves. Whether you're a Parthian or a Mede or a Scythian or all those other people I can't pronounce, God speaks to the language of their heart and declares the truth of Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection of Jesus that frees us all from our fear and our doubt and our anger, and our grief, and our pain by hearing those words that we long to hear, you are not alone. Because you matter to me, you matter. And these are the words that, that people were hearing as the gospel of Jesus Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they are not alone, that God has declared that they matter. Now, you might have noticed in the Gospel of John, I changed a word. You know, it says in our English translation that Jesus breathed on them and, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that used to tickle me as a younger person is, you know, I, I think about the first century and 
the difference between hygiene expectations then and hygiene expectations now. And it's likely that most of us brush our teeth at least once or twice a day. Some of us are more diligent about that, about having fresh breath. My wife has never caught without a mint in her mouth. And so if she were to breathe on me, it might be somewhat pleasant. I imagine in the first century, this might be different. You know, I, I think of the breath of the Holy Spirit at that point as, as smelling something a little bit different than, than what we might have heard or, or smelled now. But what, what, the reason I changed this word is because really it's not so much that Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit, but as I learned from Caroline Lewis, who is a, who is a Johannine scholar, it's, it's a recollection of Adam in the garden when God had formed Adam from dust and breathed life into him, breathed into Adam's lungs the very breath, the very life, the very substance of existence that caused his body to stir. You know, we remember also Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones, and Ezekiel saying, O Lord, can these bones yet live? And God breathing into those bones, those bodies that have been knit back together, muscle upon muscle and sinew upon sinew and skin upon the bones. And all of a sudden, with the breath of the Spirit into their lungs, they were made alive. They were made whole. They were, given, they were made to be a people again. And we think about where the disciples were. Remember, we get caught up in circumstance. The disciples were behind locked doors for fear of the ones who had crucified Jesus. They were afraid that they were going to come after them too. This was a brave group, but it was a sensible group, and so they were hiding. And we think how this reflects the grave. We think about how it is that Jesus for three days was shut up behind the stone of the tomb, how all that potential had been cut off in death, how all that hope that he might be the Messiah had been ruined by the cross, and there he was shut up, away from the world, away from everything that he'd been doing, and then God rolls the stone away and raises Jesus from the dead, and all of a sudden he's able to emerge, and the cross becomes miraculous. We have in this day of Pentecost when, in John, when the disciples were locked up for fear of the Jews, they, they were behind a stone of their fear. They were dead from being useful to the world. And we have the in-breathing of the Spirit, breathing into their lungs that substance of life, that substance of hope, that substance that, that causes our bones to stir and all of a sudden, the disciples were alive again, and we see them go back out, even though they're afraid, and do the work that the Spirit had driven them to do. And I think there's something important in this community, too. As, as we hear about those 11, and into whom the Spirit was breathed. You know, we think sometimes that it takes a whole lot of people to make a difference, you know, and, and I know y'all don't do this here, but, but some, other, some other congregations in South Carolina will occasionally say to me, you know, Pastor Eric, we, we're a small congregation. What can we do? We look down the road and we see, we see the Baptist church or the non-denominational church or, you know, whatever the big church in town that's usually first something or other. You know, we see their parking lot full. Think of all the things that they're able to do. Well, that's great. They can do a lot of things. But you know what they can't do? 
They can't be St. Nicholas for the community. They can't live the gospel call that this congregation has for this neighborhood, for the community around it, because God is breathing into your lungs too through the waters of baptism a new hope, a new promise, a gospel word that tells you that God has a purpose for you that is unique, that you are suited for, that larger congregations don't have. It doesn't take a large congregation to make a difference in a neighborhood. It just takes a congregation of people who are faithful to who God calls us to be so that we're able to live into that in a way that reveals to us that what we have been called to do makes a difference. Sometimes it might not feel like it's a big difference or a big ripple that we make in the pond that we're in. But the people for whom we affect, it makes all the difference. The fact that we remember and pray for the people on our prayer list, it makes a difference to them. You know, the fact that y'all are having vacation Bible school is going to make a difference to the people who come to vacation Bible school the way y'all reach out into the community around you is going to make a difference to those people that you affect. And whether you believe it or not, the $150 that this congregation is providing to support our, our Synod's youth ministry is going to make a difference to the ministry that we do. Pentecost is about hearing the words of God. I have created you to make the difference that I have called you to make in your lives, in your family, in your workplace, in your congregation, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your county, in your state, in your nation, in the world. We are called to remember that all those things that worry us and cause us to fret are nothing in the face of the glory and majesty of what God has called us to be about. So, as you hear the, the words of God speaking into your heart and the Spirit of God breathing into your lungs... Who is it that God is calling you to be? And what are you going to do about it? Amen.